Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Rimel, registered nurse, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. During her podcast, Krista will interview experienced and successful healthcare professionals on outside-the-box health topics. During their time together, they will have in-depth discussions with trusted medical and health and wellness leaders to discover what they do to stay well using traditional and non-traditional health practices. Experts will share not only what, but why they practice the holistic lifestyle medicine they do and the science that backs their less-than-mainstream ideas. You'll hear the real and relatable personal health struggles of healthcare providers and what rebelling outside of the traditional healthcare system did to better their lives, careers, and health. Tune in to listen and learn the mind-body-spirit practices from conventional health experts who share hope and inspiration from honest stories of healing while reflecting the scientific-based evidence to wisely guide the inner rebel inside you. It's time to rebel and be well. Welcome, Dr. Brandon Brock, to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I would like to take a moment to introduce our audience to you by sharing your bio and background. Dr. Brandon Brock is a clinician in Dallas, Texas, who holds a doctorate in family nursing practice from Duke University. He has returned back to Duke for continued training and specialization in orthopedics, and also has specialized fellowship training in stem cell technology and regenerative medicine. Dr. Brock also holds a doctorate in chiropractic and an undergraduate degree in anatomy. He has a diplomat in functional neurology, nutrition, conventional medicine, and integrated medicine as well. Dr. Brock is also a global clinical research scholar from Harvard Medical School with interests in secondary analysis, survey design, and clinical trials. In Dallas, Texas, he serves as a chief clinician at Foundation Physician Group and Innovative Health and Wellness. He enjoys teaching and providing educational support to facility learning for multiple groups and agencies. This includes topics that range from nutrition, neurology, orthopedics, and regenerative medicine to pharmacology and governmental policy. He also works as an educator with functional medicine meetings and his own Dr. Brock lectures. He enjoys spending time with his family, traveling, helping his patients, and learning new things to integrate into patient care and student lectures. Dr. Brandon, thank you for taking the time to be here today. You hold multiple degrees, titles, and accomplished awards. People travel from around the world to hear you speak and to be your student on so many topics. As someone who can stand up in front of a group and share a great deal of wisdom, knowledge, and expertise, you have been key in guiding our November Brain Health Retreat in a little different direction than originally planned. I am eager to share more about this shift in our retreat and more about what you think is important as we look at how to heal our brains in today's complex world. Brandon, thank you for joining us today on the Rebel and Be Well podcast. So I'd like to start with um, giving a little bit of your personal, professional background to our audience so that they know what brought you into healthcare, what uh, determined that you were going to go into medicine kind of at the beginning of your career? I was a uh, kind of a quasi-professional stuntman when I was um, in college doing mm-hmm. some summer jobs, and I really had an injury to my neck. In fact, I broke my neck. I didn't know mm-hmm. at that point in time, but I had a compression fracture, and uh, I ended up going to a chiropractor and... I ended up getting adjusted anyway. He didn't have uh, mm-hmm. the x-ray, just very difficult to see the compression fracture, but I got adjusted, felt better. And I was having some weakness on one side of my body and, and it got better. And so I was like, wow, there must be something pretty cool about this. And I started learning about it. And so I went and got a degree in, uh, you know, as a chiropractor mm-hmm. and I've loved it. I love the uh, anatomy and everything. And then I was like, wow, man, I love this functional medicine stuff. And I even love medicine. So I went back around and got several different degrees. But that was the thing that started was an injury. And the mm-hmm. thing that got me really interested in the functional medicine lifestyle side of it is I got diagnosed with celiac disease. Mm-hmm. So both my, my whole career has to do with basically trying to keep myself put together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other little stories and everything, but that's really the gist of the, the two big components that kind of got me going. You do have more degrees than anybody else that I might know. And I had mentioned that to you before. I mean, from like every spectrum, I don't think it's that common that you have a doctorate in nursing. You have um, your chiropractic degree. I mean, you have all kind and many in between all of that. So how... 
how have you, do you still incorporate both of those into your practice? Do you still adjust patients and treat them in a traditional medicine with traditional medicine? Yeah. I mean, I may have a mold patient in one room, a pap smear in the next room, and then an adjustment with an injection in the next room. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do use all of of the the skills that I have, at mm -hmm. least I try to, mm -hmm. you know, and then that, and then it's it really getting that done the right way and the right amount of hours and juggle things. You know, I'm a full, full-time student too. Um, so I'm just about done with a PhD and it's been really um, the, the, the beating of a lifetime. <laughs> I've oh, never, I've, I've never felt, you know, pain like that, but hmm. it's been really cool. It's been really rewarding. I personally am glad I made those decisions because mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person that if I do the same thing repetitively, I just get super burned out very fast. So mm -hmm. having a lot of different things that I can do keeps me happy and moving along. Yeah. Well, you're clearly a lifelong learner and your patients probably benefit from the different specialties and different degrees and different modalities that you can bring to your practice. So it kind of sounds like it serves you and it serves them in a really meaningful way. So that's a, that's a great thing. Well, so thanks. what was the defining moment for you in your career when you decided that you were going to step outside the box and you, you weren't just going to do that one thing? Was there a moment where you were like, I'm, I need to do all of this? Well, I, you know, th there's, there's this whole thing of cognitive dissonance, you know, where it's like everything fits in one box. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't fit in that box, I'm going to make it fit in that box. Mm -hmm. So when, when my personality type is I'm, I'm pretty black and white and I'm also pretty, I guess, straightforward. And I was like, look, there's not any one portion of healthcare that has all the answers, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of portions of healthcare that pretend like they have all the answers. And I didn't, if for some reason for me personally, that just didn't, it didn't set well with me. And I was interested in, well, if I want to help this person with this condition mm -hmm. and what I'm doing doesn't help and there's something else, I need to learn that. Hmm. I, I felt responsible, I think, is what I'm trying to mm -hmm. say. And so I just went and went back to school and I didn't want the profession to change for me because every I don't want the illusion and the purity of a particular degree to be lost. Sure. Um, so I just went back to school and learned that degree and then went back to school, and learned that degree. I didn't expect them to change for me. I went back and learned with them. Hmm. And then I took it and blended it in my practice. And so, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the deal. I just realized that mm -hmm. I wanted the answers taught to me and I wanted to learn and I didn't want to try to make things up and pack it into a, a box that didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Good for you. What's your, what degree do you think you use the most in your practice or what education, what part of your education? Well, I, you know, with what I can, what I can and can't do, mm -hmm. I use, you know, I'm a, a, an orthopedic and a family nurse practitioner. So mm -hmm. they're really different kind of whole outlooks, but I use my nurse, my doctorate nursing practice, nurse practitioner. I use it the most, mm -hmm. but when it comes to knowledge, my chiropractic degree gives me an edge on everything. I know mm -hmm. more anatomy. I learned more physiology. Mm -hmm. I can inject a joint better because I know where to go. Um, and then being able to adjust people when they really need it and they don't need medication is, so I would say that I use in the back of my mind, my chiropractic degree, probably more than anybody would ever imagine. Mm -hmm. So how has the last year impacted you as a clinician with everything surrounding the pandemic? How different have you provided care during this time? I think that's probably one of the best questions and biggest questions that needs to be asked right now to healthcare providers. You know, we started this pandemic with, okay, everybody's locked up and we're doing telemedicine, which I think telemedicine thank God we have it. Cause there'd be a lot of people that were, that would really be hurting badly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's bad medicine and great medicine at the same time. Sure. But at the first couple of weeks, it was like, Hey, you know, we've got like this vacation. And I was like, man, I don't, I, I was just, I just tried to stay smooth because mm -hmm. I knew that this thing was going to probably take a little longer. And so the third and fourth week, it was like, Hey, this is still a vacation, but it's getting a little old. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this thing, People have lost their jobs and I would call somebody or do a telemedicine about, you know, whatever the case may be. 
but then they would go straight into like, I don't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm super depressed. And I, there's no reason for me to, in other words, it turned into a gigantic, I had a, 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 a mental health practice mm-hmm. and I don't, I mean, I can handle some minor mental health issues, mm-hmm. but I'm not necessarily a mental health or a crisis counselor. Right. And I think that we all turned into crisis counselors to an extent. Um, and it was very difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit, I would say probably on the empathic side, I kind of take people's emotions in, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm maybe I'm just, you know, like I just feel bad for people who are having a rough time and, it became very rough on me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, and burnout goes up extremely quickly. And so it turned into something that none of us wanted, none of right. us expected, but you got to keep doing your job and you've got to try to keep your patients on task. Sure. Sure. So the emotional and psychosocial needs became far more relevant than the physical, um, needs that you were seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of people fortunately did get and, and still do get treatment yeah. from those, you know, because I always ask how you do and how you holding up now. It's kind of like become yeah. part the, of your like assessment. It, it really is. And mm-hmm. and because you ask that because a lot of people don't want to talk about it. But when you mm-hmm. open up that door, they do. And I think some people have gotten at least counseling, some medicated, mm-hmm. some just, you know, inst- actually institutionalized. They are mm-hmm. just falling apart. But yeah, it's, it's changed the way we do things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is a very good question. And thanks for asking that because I think a lot of healthcare providers want to quit because of it. They don't want to do medicine or, or healthcare anymore because they're like, I didn't sign up for this, but I'm also, I'm just beat to a pulp. We're seeing that in a couple of the retreats that we've had already this year with help for healthcare professionals. And, um, as we've been planning our retreat for November, which initially was planned pre pandemic. And now, you know, we're going to be hosting it in the middle of this pandemic. And I really appreciated the fact that you've been a strong voice for saying, you know, our clinicians might not need an abundance of education right now. It's always relevant. It's always important. We always have to keep learning, but what they might need more is time to take care of themselves. And you've been a huge voice for that as we've been continuing to plan our event. And um, I think that's really appreciated. And I would love to hear more about what you are seeing and feeling and experiencing, you know, within even your group or your colleagues that is making you advocate for that. Well, I mean, first of all, people want to get together, like mm-hmm. real, like eye to eye, get, you know, get together realistically get get, yeah in person and um you know in a safe way and and uh you know i think that the the element of human contact and seclusion has changed a lot of people Mm -hmm. so i want to see people get into an environment Mm -hmm. like you know like where we're doing it at you know it's the beauty the point you know the and then have some camaraderie and then have different people talk and share stories and then do some stuff to really allow people. I think a lot of practitioners, it's difficult to love themselves after they've been through so much of, of this non-loving kind of atmosphere. And I, and I don't mean that about government. I mean that Mm -hmm. about patients that are going through things like what we just talked about, but Mm -hmm. I'm just excited about the fact that, you know, we have a set kind of curriculum where we can, just let doctors kind of heal up a little bit, you know, the holes that are punched through them mm-hmm. maybe can be filled a little bit and they can come back rejuvenated enough to, to make it through whatever may be coming down the pike or what we're going through at that point in time. That's a great point because I don't know that everybody recognizes this, but if we keep losing doctors and nurses at the rate that we are currently, um, I mean, we have a really big public health crisis like on our hands in a time when we need more doctors and nurses, not fewer. Um, so somebody's got to do something. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're uh, wanting to be part of that and, and really changed our conversation and our agenda to, to cater to that. You know, how do you feel like your colleagues will respond to taking care of self? Like, how is that concept for clinicians right now? Well, you know, I think if you would have asked me that question six months ago, I don't think that it would have been as, as robust. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think now there's a lot of people, even, even the, even the people with the thickest skin, they're kind of sitting back. And, and I think there, there was that, 
everything got bad and that illusion of everything being okay. And now it kind of coming back and having different variants. I think mm-hmm. people are kind of starting to realize that this might be here for a while mm-hmm. and that they need coping skills rather than just endurance. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that had endurance are like, you know what, I'm just going to make it through this. But now a lot of people are like, this may not, you know, endurance is not a factor anymore. Now it's coping and relating and learning you know, this is parasitic. It's part of our culture now, it seems as if. And so now there's more people that are willing to sit down and, and maybe learn about that. So that's how I feel. I don't know that mm-hmm. that's necessarily something that's fact, but it seems as if from what I'm seeing and my my buddies and and even what I think the patient feedback is to, to doctors like me, they're mm-hmm. like, man, you guys must really be needing some help. And so they're starting to say that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and burnout was a problem before the pandemic, right. And in the healthcare profession. So, I mean, now you add this on top of it and it's, yeah, just another, you know, added layer to. So when you look at that from a brain based perspective, because one of the things that you are so well known for is brain health, right. Right. Being an expert in functional neurology. So, what are a couple of things that you think are important to, that we'll be talking about around brain health? And maybe that is now more emotional health. Like what kind of things at this moment in time are really important for people to just be aware of around brain health that maybe pre-pandemic were not as relevant? Well, I'm worried about uh, a sort of a, 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 a collage of things. But I think the first element of that would be stress. Um, stress hormones mm-hmm. are of course a part of everybody's life. I, very few people are ever going to say, I'm just going to escape all the stress in my life. You know, that ends up usually causing more stress, but managing yeah. it appropriately. But a lot of people are getting stress that I think is, is unusually high. And those hormones are really detrimental to certain parts of the brain, especially parts of the brain that deal with short-term memory or triggering things like Alzheimer's disease or neurodegeneration. So mm-hmm. I am a bit concerned that there could be some premature or more cases down the road. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that's happening now, we won't see, we'll see the effect. It, it may be several decades, Sure. but stress hormones being unusually elevated is, is one thing. And then, you know, introducing very rapidly, and again, without getting political or scientific, mm-hmm. inter- but introducing very rapidly new chemicals and new medications into the population with a new virus, mm-hmm. um, along with stress hormones. And we know that this virus gets into the brain and we know that some of these other chemicals can get into the brain. And without making any statements of what they exactly do, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. And so when you mix all that stuff together, it still hasn't come out in the wash yet. We still don't exactly understand scientifically everything about this. Right. And as much as people say that everything's all okay, and they, they, nobody knows that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I just have my head on a swivel with my patients about how they change neurologically and how their autoimmune condition is changing, whether they've been infected or given shots or whatever the case may be, because that's part of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we have to listen to our patients, but you know, those are the things. And, and you can put that together along with loneliness. You can put that together along with not being able to, uh, you know, be with your friends, you know, on certain mm-hmm. nights that you were used to. There's so many things that go into this, um, this recipe of, uh, you know, public health disaster. Mm-hmm. But for neurologic health, all of that is neurological, whether it be in the, the psychological centers the the memory centers mm-hmm. or just global infl- inflammation from stuff we don't even know about yet. Hmm. That's a great point. There's so much that we won't know for decades, right? I mean, the answers are still unraveling in in every which way, and and we're all doing the best that we can with the information that we have, but it still is limited. I mean, it's new and it's you know short term. I mean, it's been a short amount of time, relatively speaking. Um, but you're starting to see those things come into your clinic and you're starting to see it in your profession, your healthcare colleagues and professionals and, and doing something about it now, as we all know, right. If we can do things preventatively, it usually is going to help us in the, in the long run. Are you treating patients with long COVID? Well, I'm treating people with acute COVID and I'm also okay. treating people with, you know, some residual symptoms. Um, you know, there's a lot of people I think that want to say, 
this started when I had a shot or this started after COVID. Uh-huh. But then when you dig in their history, they kind of already had it, but it got exacerbated. Sure. In other words, it got, it got a little worse. Sure. Um, and can we blame it on that? It's tough to say again. Um, there, there really has got to be a lot of research done in many areas other than just getting things approved for usage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I do treat a lot of stuff that's either perceived as related or not related, or, you know, we definitely know it's related and mm-hmm. it's acute and we are trying to do our best to help people who are kind of just like, you can't go to the hospital. You're not sick enough. Don't mm-hmm. come to the office because we don't want to expose everybody. Right. So, you know, maybe there's some telemedicine and we work with people and help them just have a better mm-hmm. immune system so that they don't end up someplace and in a real pickle because they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So, so far we've, we've been blessed to have, you know, good patients that have, you know, done well, but, you know, every day you hear about patients that don't come out and things aren't, things aren't so good. Right. If you could give people kind of one pearl or one piece of advice on how to best care for themselves right now, what would be like the one thing that you'd say, Hey, do this. To protect yourself against things like, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I have to do it in two answers. It's because okay. it's impossible to really do yeah. one. But yeah. in one answer, I would say if you're really ill and you have a lot of comorbidities, you know, then I would say you need to make sure that you're, you know, not exposed. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think that there and a lot of people are just not going to like me saying this, but there is a time and a place for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, but I think that people that are healthy they have got to keep their nutrition, their exercise, their diet, and their stress at a level to where they're at optimum health. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I know that are getting it are getting, they're the ones that are super stressed out and then they're getting around crowds of people and they end up getting sick. And mm-hmm. so I think that you need to be safe, mm-hmm. but I think you need to take care of yourself and we can go through loads of nutrition, right. but I'm just saying in general, you need to be well-rounded and healthy. And then if you're really sick and ill, elderly or, or frail, you need to do all those things too. Mm-hmm. you know, the best to your ability, but maybe consider a little bit of, uh, you know, something to help your immune system to where it recognizes it. Mm-hmm. And I say that, you know, with a heavy heart, because I, as a researcher, don't know that all the research was done in its entirety, the way that it would be acceptable for like a PhD. I think that Mm -hmm. there was some shortcuts taken initially, but they had to do that. Right. Right. And then I just fear, you know, some of the long-term consequences, but I fear that with everything, including Mm -hmm. natural stuff. So, but we move on. Yeah. Wonderful. I think that's great advice, Brandon. I mean, it's, it's, and we don't hear enough of that is, you know, how important things are keeping your stress in check, which of course this is an environment that that can be hard to do, but you know, that means it must, that we have to make that much more of a mindful effort, nutrition, exercise, all those things that you mentioned are, are incredibly important. Um, and when people ask me, Hey, what's your opinion on this or that? I would say, you know what? We don't know all the long-term effects of COVID. Um, and we won't for a long time and we don't know all the long-term effects of a newer vaccine, but you have to, it's all kind of, you know, risk benefit at this point yeah. in time. So I appreciate that, that honest answer. That's why I think things like this retreat is so important because, you know, you address a lot of these issues or you give people the ability to just vent, talk and, and relate and, how can you help your brain and stay healthy? Really, that second group I was talking about, where you know you want to maintain your internal mask, meaning mm-hmm. good nutrition, good stress levels, good diet, good exercise, being well rounded, mm-hmm. and then recovering for the long haul. That's the person that I want to see at this, so that they can they can just make it make it through this. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So they don't, yeah, become a statistic that, you know, was to the point of burnout and and leaving. So no, 100%. And that's, that's what we aim to do. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes just getting away out of your day-to-day environment and having a safe place to reset can just do wonders for the individual body, mind, and spirit, right? It's kind of the whole, the holistic approach. What they'll experience in November will hopefully be very profound. The couple that we've had thus far have gone very, very well and have been desperately needed as we've, you know, gotten a group there and and realized, you know, when people can kind of take their stethoscope off and take their badge off, you know, what happens. And it's, it's been very profound. So I'm, I'm excited for November to, yeah, bring another wonderful group of people. How would you consider yourself a healthcare rebel or do you consider yourself a healthcare rebel? 
people call me a day walker <laughs> <laughs> or, okay. you know, yeah. you know, like a vampire that they can walk in the, in, in the sun. I mean, uh-huh. I, I, cause I do two several different, you know, disciplines. Right. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make me a rebel. I think the thing that makes me a rebel is just, I really believe not so much in functional, dysfunctional that, but I believe in integrative care. So yeah. I have a lot of patients that come in and, and they want medicine. And I believe that people have the right to choose. I'm a big right to choose kind of guy. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to not do this, okay. If you do want to do this, okay. So, you know, in healthcare, people come in and I give my advice. Sometimes it's a little more stern than other times, mm-hmm. but it's like, if you want medication and that's what you're hell bent on, then I might say, look, you know, okay, cool. But here's the side, you know, here's the, here's the consequences and here's the mm-hmm. benefits. And the same thing with nutrition, but I try to marry those two things together to where people can understand what health is. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they have to understand or get what is going to maintain life or symptoms. Mm-hmm. And and they and, and I can say that with both sides. Right. And so for, for me, the, the the rebel is a lot of doctors don't like seeing another doctor integrate care. Yeah. Because it's it takes the because it's not a pure anything. Mm-hmm. it's a hybrid that hasn't been established and it's not understood by one side or the other sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so they look at you as somebody stuck in a gap, whatever works for the patient is what I'm really here to do. And so sometimes we have to come up with some creative things and we have a lot of chronically ill patients. And so understanding both sides or multiple sides of a clinical equation is something that doesn't make a lot. There's a, it's amazing to me. We help a patient and somebody else gets mad because we did it a different way. Mm-hmm. Isn't that and interesting? Why is that in medicine? Why is it like it has to be my silo or it's no silo? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, there's always personality. There's always ego. And then there's always training and there's always purist. And there's always, well, I went to this school. It's the best. And this is how they taught it. And and then there's also concern. And I think some of it's genuine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but I also think that there's just... There's a lot of hubris people out there, man. And I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. You know, after you've been in healthcare for a while uh-huh. and you've kind of had it handed to you in every different direction, um, you learn, I'm just mm-hmm. here to help the patient. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. Yep. Yep. And I think you, you have to humble yourself to go, Hey, what I might've learned initially just isn't enough. Right. So you have to open yourself up to other things because it usually takes a multidiscipline approach. It's not any one right way. And, but there is so much of that right as writer kind of arguments in medicine. So I appreciate the fact that you're a hybrid rebel, right? You're kind of like, and you have the degrees to back it up. You have the experience, you have the wisdom. So you can stand in that space with some pretty firm ground, right? Like you can say, you know, here's, here's why I'm doing this. Here's why I'm doing this. Here's why I'm recommending this, prescribing this. And you know, your, your patients, I'm sure benefit from that, which is probably why you're so dang busy all the time. Well, (laughs) a lot of people are like, why are you doing a PhD, man? That's ridiculous. And I go, so when I do some of the things that I do, and I know that it it needs backing, you know how to do Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know how to write papers about things where there's, it's just so gray. There's really not anybody supporting it. And, uh, you know, it's not that I really want to become a full-time researcher, but, you know, understanding how to write and understanding how to do systematic reviews and understanding how to do a secondary analysis. I think for somebody in my situation, Mm -hmm. I have to be able to do that because if not, not only do I lose protection, but my patient loses protection. And Mm -hmm. then people sometimes understand through the literature, if they'll read, and Mm -hmm. here's the thing I get the most, well, that's not the literature anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, it is. How, how can you say that? Mm-hmm. You know, what paper are you talking about? And it, it gets very frustrating. That's a great way to cause a fight with another healthcare provider when they say, well, that's just not in the literature. And you're like, which piece of literature are you talking about? Right. They're right. having read. Right. And they're like, well, you know, that literature. And you're like, no, what literature? And they're like, that literature. And you're <laughs> like, no. One. So you are one of the few clinicians who I think would be open enough or let's say hybrid rebellious enough to be involved in a conference where we're going to offer uh, AMA continuing medical education credits and chiropractic CEUs. And I think that's a pretty unique offering or space. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, we have to have more stuff like that because, you know, look, we're all in this together. I mean, look, chiropractors are here to stay. Medical doctors are here to stay Mm -hmm. and everybody in between advanced practitioners and so forth, you know, 
we might as well get together, heal together, learn together, learn how to work together, learn what each other's lanes are, and then and then grow. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's this. Why put more strife in a world that already has enough strife? Mm-hmm. And I would just say people come together and just open your mind, let your heart beat slower, and just... And, and I know this is going to kind of sound weird coming from somebody like me, but just really learn to love each other, even if you don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Great advice. And you're absolutely right. Even in the healthcare space, you know, we just don't need any more divide. I mean, nobody really is benefiting from the constant arguments and the constant, you know, dissonance that's happening between all of us. And so if we can just accept the fact, and we needed this, for, you know, prior to 2020, where if we can just value what the other person does, because usually it takes more than one person or maybe more than one treatment or more than one therapy to help something, especially chronic and complicated. And so if we could all just sit in the same room and be willing to learn from each other, how much better would that be for us and for our patients? I mean, versus our patients being like, well, I'm not going to tell them that I get acupuncture. I'm not going to tell them that I go see a chiropractor because then they'll get mad at me or judge me or whatnot. And it's like, how much better would it be if we could just have conversations together about that? And respect each other's care. There's so many ways to skin a cat. That's one thing I've learned. In the room next to me right now is an acupuncturist. And in the room on the other side of me is a gynecologist. Hmm. And we have a collaborative every Friday where we all get together and take our Mm -hmm. hardest patients. That's why we're called Carpathia Collaborative. And Carpathia was the ship that saved everybody in the Titanic. Okay. So it's like, you know, we get together and we have a, we have a multi-viewed, multi-angled approach to people who are chronically ill and we have to save them. That's kind of the spirit of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I really, there's a lot of people that are, again, very left brain linear stuck in their ways. And there's a lot of people that are very abstract and they kind of do different kind of stuff, right brained. And you, you kind of got to start to put the two together and, mm-hmm. and allow those people to have to share space and let them work it out, but mm-hmm. have rules of like, look, you guys just got to talk it out, love each other. And you don't always have to, you don't always have to agree, but understand results matter and people mm-hmm. stay in business because of results. And so if somebody's like a chiropractor has been in practice 25 years, it's, it's not because he's failing on every patient. It's because mm-hmm. he's humble. Yeah. Yeah. Or she. Yeah. Very well said. So do you say that's part of your cause as a healthcare rebel? Is to bring yeah. to because you hold that space where you can talk the talk on a lot of different in a lot of different disciplines to try and bring integrate pe- clinicians together. Well, I mean, I kind of have to because you know I, I'll lecture to a group of chiropractors and I love doing that. Mm-hmm. That's part. Of, I, I am that. There's nothing you can't rip that out of me. Okay. Right. And then I have to lecture to people who are on the medical side, whether it be physicians, assistants, nurse practitioners or, you know, medical practitioners, whether it be DOs or MDs. And I have Mm -hmm. to be able to relate to them and, and talk on their level. And then I have to talk to, you know, the people that are really maybe considered a little bit more fringe, you know, acupuncturist, oriental medicine people and those kinds Mm -hmm. and under, and and be able to talk about nutrition. If you want to be a real educator, right? Clinically, I don't always have clinically, I could just sit in my office, Mm -hmm. but as from, from the educational perspective, I always wanted and I always had a dream to be able to communicate with each. And, and and really the final thing on that is my wife, you know, she always, before I'm, pick, I'm getting ready to speak, she always says, remember who you're talking to. Hmm. And when I walk up, it's mm-hmm. almost like, you know, that matters because mm-hmm. you've got to talk to them through the lens that they look through. If not, you lose them. That, yeah, they're mm-hmm. going to have the wrong prescription and not be able to see. Yep. So, and your ability to gain their trust by speaking their language, and then you know, putting in little pieces where you can open eyes to other ways or other avenues, you know, is is yeah. I'm sure that that infiltrates into what you do as an educator, but you have to do it by first gaining trust. Yeah, you do. Well, and a lot of people are just like, this guy went through the education, so let's at least listen, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and my job is not really ne- my goal. I say my job, my goal is not necessarily to be a crusader for any side. Mm-hmm. It's just simply to be able to lecture on how to make people better to different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will choose not to like 
a different discipline and, I, and that's their business. Mm-hmm. I'm not really there to necessarily make everybody happy, mm-hmm. but I want some people to, to see, look, here's this information. Here's a case study. They went and did this and they got better over here. Yeah. But they also did this and they got better with this. So it, sometimes it comes through in the case studies, but it doesn't come through in, in, in you know, like a Tony Robbins, you know, woohoo. Right. Thing. Right. <laughs> so, you know, as an credibility edu- doesn't matter in those. Absolutely. What's your favorite topic to lecture on? Because you lecture and educate all the time, very frequently. So what's your favorite topic? Well, you know, it's it's easy to say brain because it's there's 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 so much we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And there's not as many drugs that can deal with it. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. holistically, it's open season for brain, right? Yeah. Um, but I love orthopedics and I love joint and biomechanics and movement. And I love the immunology between the two. And I, and I really love talking about labs. That's probably one of my favorite things. Hmm. Um, and then I love talking about devices, you know, yeah. I love talking about lasers. I love talking about rehabilitation types of, you know, equipment. I don't know. Hmm. You, you asked me a question that yeah. doesn't have a favor. I didn't give you a very good answer. On well, that. You have a wide spectrum of things that you're really interested in that you like to present on. So it's, well, it's I mean, I like psychopharmacology too, but yeah. I mean, that's one, that's one when you, when you say that people are like, Oh, oh that's I don't want to go to that one. Um, I'll skip that lecture. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and for brain health, I mean, how, how, um, how important is it at this point? You made a really good statement when you said pharmacologically, we have so few answers. So we have to be able to look at things differently. And is that really where this functional neurology like stemmed from? Would you say? Yeah. And really it's, it's really interesting. I, I, you know, functional neurology kind of stemmed from the functional medicine people. Mm-hmm. They had to have a name for, you know, that kind of deal. And, you know, there's lots of people who have made claims to fame. Really, in all reality, functional neurology has grown so quickly and so rapidly, and there's been so much added into it. It's it's grown into an entity that involves many things. Okay. I mean, functional neurology is is basically just, you know, the brain gaining better function through plasticity or connectivity. And there's medications that do that. There's mm-hmm. exercises that do that. There's optometrists that do that. There's physical therapists that do that. There's chiropractors that do that. There's medical practitioners that do that. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to give it to, to a discipline. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to say you can't use a nutrient to help with better brain function and connectivity. And the same thing with medication. So mm-hmm. what we're finding with functional neurology is it's much more expansive than we thought. And it's very difficult for anybody to say, I made the whole thing up mm-hmm. because there's lots of smart people that are adding to it every single year. And you really have to work hard to keep up with it. Sure. Yeah. And no, in the functional neurology space in, in, in the neurosciences period, I mean, you have some of the most brilliant minds working on minds, right? One in three people getting Alzheimer's, you know, really before some, some many of them before, or, you know, they're work life can mm-hmm. end, you know, or mm-hmm. they can retire. I mean, people can retire, you know, whenever they want, but I mean, my average female patient that comes in with the, or, you know, the onset of dementia is 52. Really? 52? 52. Wow. So, so, you know, when you start looking at stuff like that, you know, that person could live another 30 or 40 yeah. years Yeah. and think about the money that like they can't work. Somebody right. else has to take care of them. So they can't work. The, there's going to be medications put in there. There's going to be yeah. care put in there. Yeah. Home health is getting reduced. So the burden on healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, when you start looking at the amount of neurodegeneration is going to be tremendous. And that's why I tell people, you know, here's a brain protocol we have. You should mm-hmm. probably follow it so that you're latter rather than sooner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good advice. Very good advice. Yeah. 52 is very young with um, a lot of years of demand and care if if it's already being diagnosed at that age. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tragic. Yeah. Well, I'm an APOE 4-4, so I should check out your brain protocol. Well, you should get a, you should get, you know, I do a, <laughs> uh, really a, a cognitive genetic evaluation mm-hmm. and, you know, an E4-E4 E4 is really pretty much okay mm-hmm. if there's seven or eight other genes that are okay. Mm-hmm. But you could be an E3-E3 E3 and have some of the other genes turned on and it'd be, de- it'd be dire great. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't take any dementia patients in unless they take the entire battery of genetic tests and, mm-hmm. and, you know, autoimmune tests. And then I'll sit down with them and do a two hour consultation and go through why I think 
their dementia is starting to develop and the, or at least the things that are promoting it. Right. And there's really no two cases I've ever seen that are the same. That are the same. I know. Isn't that so interesting? There's so much to learn in that realm. And obviously I'm really personally passionate about it because I have a, the, you know, a gene and a, a grandma and a mo- and a mother who have Alzheimer's. So, so yes, no, I, I can completely appreciate, um, above and beyond what you're, what you're doing to help the neurodegenerative disease patients have a higher quality of care. Um, it's commendable and people don't realize how absolutely taxing those diseases are, whether it's ALS or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, just, incredibly taxing in every which way on the practitioner, the family, patient, and beyond. Um, but there's a lot of hope in functional neurology. So I think that's what's exciting. That's where I have found hope um, in having, you know, a high risk um, profile for Alzheimer's is in functional neurology. And that's why we're bringing this brain-based health um, concept, you know, to the point um, in part, you know, f- to continue to learn how we can better care for those patients. Um, but then also really, you know, do what we can to take care of ourselves so we don't become a patient. Yeah. I mean, I have a daily regime that is a, a cardiac. I mean, my weak spot in my family is cardiac and my PhD work is in cardiac. Okay. So, you know, I know that if I don't take care of myself, that's what's going to take me early. Yeah. Um, But then again, brain and cardiac, they really, if one's deteriorating or degenerating, so is the other because Mm -hmm. the vasculature keeping the tissue alive. So, you know, I have a daily regime that it's just almost like it's so habitual that my wife can almost tell what time it is by what I'm doing. By what you're doing, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do stuff for my brain and do stuff for my heart. Yeah. I'm just going to fight the fight, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's, we're all, look, we've all got a journey from A to Z. Let's mm-hmm. make it, that's, that's my saying is we're all on a journey from A to Z. Let's right. just make right. it the best journey we it, it can be. So absolutely. And if you do that, great. And there's some people that can make it a terrible journey. <laughs> well, and then they show up in your clinic and you're like, this is that's, really rough. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly. It. And you see a day after day and you're like, you know, obviously we all have, you know, we don't, none of us have a ticket to stay, but you can, ha- you can greatly impact your quality of life along the journey. Hundred percent. So I think 100%. that's, that's what functional neurology is really focused on is giving you a higher degree, higher quality of life. Yeah, that's probably the if you get down to it, that's the quintessential part of the of, of rebelism. Mm-hmm. If you if you would, you know, put it in those that uh, probably unknown word. Right. But is you know, we're here to just allow people to have optimal health. Yeah. And that's a weird concept because yep. healthcare has been name a disease, treat it. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been let's make you healthy enough to either help the disease that you may have or not get one at all. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that is a very different way of looking at things. And Mm -hmm. I believe that I would like to treat things on the 10 yard line and not wait till the hundred yard line when the race is over. You want to be proactive, not reactive. Absolutely. Do you want, uh, are you game to do a couple fire round questions? Bring it up. Let's go. All right, let's go. Tell us your top three health habits that you've seen make the biggest difference in your life. You just said Tara can tell what time it is based on what you're doing. <laughs> What's what are three of those? Uh, more sleep. Okay. Consistent exercise and keeping my body mass index or, or my body fat content or my, you know, my weight and mm-hmm. size and shape and muscle mass at the at the right amount for my body structure. Those three things. A lot is involved in that, but those three things, if you can keep them all in check and go and, you know, balance it out. And then in the middle of that, keep your stress realistic. That's it. Mm -hmm. Those are good ones. Tell us a health habit you have that your family wishes you would ditch. Going to school. (laughs) I've had two interventions already. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yes. That's, that's an interesting health habit. Yeah can be a blessing and a curse, right? Well, and the reason why I say it's a health habit is because it causes a lot of stress and it Mm -hmm. it does things to everybody. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you make a decision to go to school, everybody gets the beating. So, but Tara, yeah, I got to give it my, you know, props to Tara. She's been great. She, she's in, she was in education for a long time. Mm -hmm. She was an English teacher. So for 20 years, so she lets me get away with some stuff that I probably shouldn't get away with. And, you know, as far as going to school, she's like, okay, one more time. And then it's one more time, but she's right, good. Right. What would your last meal be? Since that's the last meal, it would probably be 
a deep dish pizza from Pizza Hut. And then, you know, I would probably have about half a bottle of Blanton's bourbon. <laughs> pizza Hut and bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you it's, I know that sounds weird. It's no. a ranch dressing to dip it in, you know, or something. Yeah, that doesn't sound weird at all. There's probably a, quite a few people who actually do that on a regular occasion, for better or worse. Oh, yeah, but... that, that was that's Friday night in college. Yeah. <laughs> Except it wasn't yeah. Blanton's. It was more like, you know... You know, you know, fireball uh, or something like that. You can have it on death row, or it might end up putting you on death row. Either way, that, you know, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what does the world need more of? Needs more love. I got to be honest with you. People just got it. They got to drop a lot. Of, I, I, there's just right now we have too many people that are just too serious, mm-hmm. too thin-skinned, and just don't know how to love something that is not like them. Mm-hmm. So. I think if we would just do that, then there would be a lot less problems. Obviously, there's always going to be problems, but w- without going really deeper, I just leave it at that. Yeah. More acceptance and love of otherness. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, great answer. Okay. I'm going to do a couple of this or that. Are you an early riser or a night owl? Night owl for sure. That's when I think the crispest and do all, most of my work. Okay. Mountains or beach? Um, I'm mountains, Terrace beach. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to both. I'm bioluminescent, man. Look at okay. me. I mean, it's like, you know, I, it, it, I've got to be very careful in the sun. I've also had, you know, some skin cancer removed off my nose. And so once okay. that happens, you're like, yeah, you know, lathering up and, uh, you know, sometimes toxic, yeah. uh, suntan lotion is not always a, a fun thing, but you know, I grew up near mountains and mm-hmm. so skiing and stuff is great, but Tara, has great skin. And so you, she goes to the beach and within an hour, she looks like, you know, perfect. Yeah. Like While a copper tone model. Sm- I got smoke. I got smoke coming off of me, you know? <laughs> right. So. so you try and compromise and do a little bit of both. Are you an introvert yeah. or an extrovert? Um, mainly an extrovert. There's some situations where I get introverted um, and try to, you know, say, I, I think one of the things I've worked on is saying much less in certain situations and just mm. listening Mm-hmm. And a lot of that ha- is with patients. Mm-hmm. Um, they want you to explain things, but they also want you to hear them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably much more, ex- I mean, I would have to say extroverted, um, you know. As an overall, yeah. yeah. Overall yeah. description, yeah. Massage or acupuncture? I've had acupuncture once and I've got one of the best acupuncturists I know next door to me, which yeah. I will use and I do believe in. Yeah. Um, but come on. A good massage is is some, no offense to anyone, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, a good massage is just one of those things. It just it takes me to a place where I can just relax. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Then that's exactly what you need. That's perfect. All right. Well, Brandon, I'm going to close by asking where can people get more information about you or your practice? If somebody wanted to find out more about where to take a class with you or where to see you as a patient, where could they find you? Um. Well, I, for me, it's pretty, pretty easy to, well, if you want to like see me as a patient or mm-hmm. under just talk, I mean, I have drbrock.com, D-R-B-R-O-C-K.com, which is such a great story that we can't go into, but it's yeah. getting that website was amazing anyway. Okay. But I work, I work at uh, Carpathia with a C, Carpathia Collaborative. Okay.com. So I'm at that practice, but even my stuff you know, like drbrock.com takes pretty much takes you to that facility. And, uh, you know, I work with a lot, probably 40% of my patients are not really close to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we either consult doctors and help them with their stuff or we help with patients. Um, so, and then are we, are we help them and then find them a doctor nearby that maybe can deliver more, um, you know, give them care where they need a little bit more attention and we can't do stuff over the phone because there's just some things you can't do over the phone. Right, so, right. So you do a lot of teleconferences and telemedicine yeah. when you can, but. It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do. And because it's also become kind of habitual mm-hmm. during this pandemic. And then as far as lecture goes, I lecture mainly for Arconia. So Arconia seminars, um, okay. you know, myself and Dr. Barry do. It's not just all about, uh, you know, devices a lot of times it's about we've put so much education in there about brain joints musculoskeletal and labs that people are really getting educated about why they would use nutrition 
yeah. or why they would do that. And I work for, I, I do stuff for Vibrant Labs and for Zymogen Nutrition as well. So Okay. So they can find you those multiple avenues. They, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do work with them. I mean, I don't know that if you get a hold of, if he calls that, they'll just redirect you mm-hmm. to one of the places I already told you. They mentioned. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. So Dr. Brandon will also be part of our November brain-based health retreat, where we are offering both continuing medical education credits and continuing education credits. If you'd like to find out more about his upcoming retreat with us, you can go to The Point Retreats. We have a website, thepointretreats.com, or one of our social media pages, Point Retreats, on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Otherwise, I want to thank you again, Dr. Brandon, for your time today, for sharing all your wisdom and expertise. I look forward to seeing you in November. And until then, I hope that this podcast inspires you and everyone listening to rebel and be well. You've been listening to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Ryman, registered nurse, founder, and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. If you'd like to ask Krista Rymel or one of our past or upcoming guests a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, that phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear feedback. Rebel and Be Well is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Point Retreats, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other organization. All medical issues, concerns, diagnoses, medications, and treatments must be managed by your doctor. We do not replace any clinician's medical advice or treatment. Join us next time for Rebel and Be Well.